Welcome to Extremely Valid Points. We are three business owners and friends who enjoy talking about business, marketing, and creativity. Along the way, we just might happen to make some extremely valid points. So we'd love it if you would join us in today's conversation. Welcome to another episode of Extremely Valid Points. We are really in for a treat today. We have a guest on the show. Her name is Charity Susnick. She is with the Marjorie Mason Center, which is a nonprofit located in Fresno, California. They offer services to domestic violence victims and they do amazing work. We're going to talk with her today about some of the challenges that she's faced as a nonprofit in the middle of the pandemic. She's also going to tell us what she's learned about marketing over the years, and especially this year, and how they have been able to really bounce back despite the fact that budgets are down and people aren't spending. Um, It's a really great story, and we're excited to share it with you guys. So for those of you who are new to the show, my name is Jenny Sala. I'm Nathan Sala. And I'm Dave Wilkins. Uh, We're really excited to talk with our guest today, Charity. Uh, She and I have done a lot of work together um, with the Marjorie Mason Center, and so we've worked on a lot of different video projects. So um, she's a great person to work with. I look forward to talking with uh, her today. So welcome, Charity. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for the invitation. I appreciate it. Yeah, welcome to the show. Yeah, so uh, you work at Marjorie Mason Center in the marketing department, and so what we were kind of hoping to talk to you about is what it's like to market a nonprofit and um, just kind of explore the ins and outs of that specific industry and how you reach people. Yeah, and if you could give us a little bit of background about yourself, who you are, what you do there at the Marjorie Mason Center, and what the Marjorie Mason Center is all about, we'd, we'd love to hear more about that. Sure. Well, thank you again for inviting me to be part of today. My name is Charity Sesnick. I'm the Director of Development and Communications for the Marjorie Mason Center. Uh, This is my third year at the agency, and Marjorie Mason Center exists to serve adults and children who are affected by the trauma of domestic violence. Uh, We have comprehensive domestic violence services, uh, and we provide services to all of Fresno County. So, uh, for example, last year, we served over 8,500 adults and children in our, in our programs. Wow. Yeah. That's so, so amazing that you guys ha- have that service for our county here. Mm-hmm. So um, I wonder if you could tell me just about what are some of the unique challenges of communications and marketing in, uh, for nonprofits in particular? Sure. Well, I've spent most of my career... Um, has been in higher education, um, marketing, and fundraising. So I've always worn that dual hat. So definitely when I came to Marjorie Mason Center, I saw some immediate changes. Um, The first, I think, is probably the most blaring uh, for anybody who works in a nonprofit, and that is lack of budget for marketing in the community. Mm. Yeah. So um, what what are some of those challenges that you you – how do you get around that? Obviously, you don't have a big budget to work with. Um, how do you make the most of your dollars? <laughs> well, it's true. Every dollar has to count. So, you know, one of the things that I know many of the nonprofits do, and I have to say Fresno has a, a very positive nonprofit culture as far as the nonprofits in our, in our community, as well as um, those who interact with the nonprofit. So I think that makes it easier. Um, for example, you know, I'm regularly getting... Um, a reach out from local news media, from 
radio media, print media saying, do you have something going on? How can we help you? Is there a message we can help you get out? So obviously that makes a huge difference that we know that when we do have something we want to share or need to share with our community, that we can call on these partners. So that's one thing. The other thing that I know we've done as an agency is we try to really um, use the marketing moments that we may have in larger events to help us have collateral for other kinds of times down the line. For example, we just had a, a recent crab and brew drive-through event where folks uh, drove through and picked up a crab dinner that benefited the agency. And so we worked with Ellipsis Production, uh, Dave's company, to help us uh, create a video uh, of a client and one of our client services folks to really tell that story of Marjorie Mason. And so even though we used it specifically for that program, I'm turning around and I'm getting ready to use it as part of our spring appeal launch that will go out here this month um, to help tell that story in a deeper way. Mm. I'm glad I'm glad to hear you're using it in that way because that's one of the things we love is to be able to find those uh, instances where we can take the content that we're developing together and be able to repurpose it, reuse it. So you're not just like you're saying, you're, you're getting the most bang for your buck, right? You're, you're able to use it for multiple things, repurpose it for a different audience, hopefully maybe, right? That's, that's an important thing that we always try to help our clients to do. And how is that working for you? It's working really well, you know, especially for us. Um, not only are we a nonprofit, but we're a nonprofit that works with um, a very confidential in a very confidential setting with clients. Um, the clients that come to us and go through our programs, um, we can't do what a lot, of, a lot of other nonprofits do as far as like regularly putting folks on camera, taking photos, um, using B-roll, some of the things that are taken, I think, advantage of in other areas. And so we have to be super careful. So when we do search and find those clients from maybe previous years or their situation has changed and they're willing to tell their story, I don't want to use it just one time. I need to try to maximize that as much as I can to as many different audiences as possible um, to really help deepen our story. You know, storytelling has become such a, a sort of a buzzword in the, in the marketing area lately. And um, I think it's very important. So we take it every advantage we can to reuse and repurpose something for, for a different reason. That's great. Yeah. So I'm curious too. I, I think video and storytelling is such a beautiful way to reach donors when you're in a nonprofit. Um, how has that worked for you? And what kind of response do you get when you share these videos with, with, your, um, with your donors? Well, we always get a stronger response. Um, you know, people have, I feel like an innate um, sort of gap or hole in their heart that they want to give and they want to know they're making a difference. And we have a lot of generosity in our community. It's been just incredible, especially this last year during COVID. I can talk for hours just about that alone. But I think when you when you marry that generosity and that desire to give with something tangible, people want to know that their gift is, is helping someone else. So when we can tell that story, I think it just really um, lays a stronger foundation for them to continue to support a nonprofit or specifically Marjorie Mason Center. Yeah, that's great. You know, Charity, you guys do such great work, um, but you're also dealing with a very heavy subject, right? Um, so it's important to be able to know 
for people to know that, um, that there is a safe place for them to go. Um, but you also want you want to reach your your donors um, as well. So how do you um, make sure that you're able to get the impact of what you are doing and keep it in a positive light? How do you know? Talk to me a little bit about the challenges that you might face there with dealing with with that kind of subject matter um, and getting people to just really um, you know want to reach out and help help that cause. Well, absolutely. You know, domestic violence is a very serious subject and it's not, um, it's not as taboo as it was, um, you know, 40 years ago when Marjorie Mason Center opened, but it's still um, a subject that not people don't want to talk about. Um, and also people don't want to um, necessarily admit that they've been um, either a survivor of domestic violence, that they've maybe watched it um, in the growing up years as a family. And then some people just think, oh, it doesn't affect me. That's not something that affects me. So I think one of the ways we try to share a positive light about domestic violence is talking about what everybody can do, that there's something everybody can do that makes a difference in domestic violence, having healthy communication in your relationships, um, making good choices with boundaries, um, talking about red flags that happen then. You know, you may not realize, in fact, I'm thinking, Dave, of the story that we do with Alicia. You know, she said, I didn't realize that I was in a domestic violence relationship. And so, so often right. that's very common. So I think sometimes just talking about it and saying what's out there and helping folks realize it, but also realize that we all have a part to build a healthier community. And one of the ways that we can do that is, um, you know, getting rid of the taboos that we have as a society, but been but then also having that open communication. You know, for example, one of the ways that we do that is through our education program with uh, middle school and high school teenagers. Um, if you have been raised in an abusive situation or watched an abusive situation, and that's been the only thing you've seen, you don't realize that there's a way to have a relationship outside of that or something that looks different. So, you know, one aspect of, of our education program called No More is to be sure that we actually teach the components of healthy relationships so that cycle of violence can be broken and so students know the difference. And many times they're coming to us after those sessions and they're saying, I'm not experiencing it, but I think my aunt is. I think my mom is. How can I help them um, change that relationship? Wow. wow. Yeah. That's really great. It's so true. I think um, often when we're in unhealthy, we just, we don't know what healthy looks like. So it's normal to us. We don't know the difference. And sometimes you need to be able to see and witness what healthy looks like to identify, oh, this, <laughs> the way I've been living, I don't have to live this way. This isn't normal. Yeah. And so um, that's really empowering. I love hearing that you guys are doing that. Mm -hmm. I think one of the other things, you know, you were asking about just when we do our marketing and communications and branding, it's always to multiple audiences. You know, when we're sending something out on social media or um, anything we do, it's building awareness in the community. It's trying to reach a potential victim who needs help. And then it's also communicating a message to the donors. I think another aspect of that is we've recognized that domestic violence touches everyone in some way. It has no socioeconomic boundaries, no cultural boundaries. Um, uh, sexual orientation boundaries. And so when we are building that awareness, we're also telling our story to everyone. But again, I think it goes back that 
you know, we've had so many donors who will come to us and say, you know, I saw this testimonial and I recognize that, you know, I watched my dad abuse my mom the whole time I was being raised. And so I want to make a difference and do something about that. So I think it does sort of remove some of those barriers and just help us have those open conversations to connect people with something that they're passionate about. Can you talk a little bit about how do you get your message out there? You, you mentioned, you know, to the potential victims, how do you target and what channels do you use to get that message out there so that when somebody needs your services that you provide, they can find you? Well, we try to do it every way possible. Um, obviously, I mean, you know, as a nonprofit, when you're a small shop, um, you don't feel like you have all the tools available to you. So, you know, we really have tried to make a, um, a, a focused effort in our social media. So social media has definitely become, a, you know, a popular avenue for everyone. Um, you know, fortunately, social media is free. And so I'm, I'm very thankful that I have someone on my staff who can really focus on social media for the agency and have those messages out on, you know, Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram and and uh, we're starting to dabble a little bit even though I don't have a personal account I'm I'm aging myself but on TikTok even um, which is very frightening but um, I think <laughs> you know you you have to look at the good in the platforms and figure out how you can use it to your audience so you know obviously we still use a lot of print media um, of, of different forms. Um, we really have made an intentional effort, especially because of our community to make sure that we have all of our information translated into different languages. So we have English, Spanish, Hmong, Punjabi um, as, as ways that we can definitely connect with our community where they are because we serve everyone. Um, you know, again, those radio PSAs or TV PSAs, um, as often as we can use those, we do. Um, and then sometimes, you know, I think in nonprofits, we all have to remember that to, to make money, you sometimes have to spend money. And so I, I feel that in the last three years, we've been very intentional about setting aside, um, even though it's small, some marketing budget to do just that. So we may spend $100, you know, it doesn't sound like it would go very far, but $100 on Facebook to, um, to do an ad or to increase your audience makes a big difference. So we've tried to take advantage of all of those avenues as much as we can. Absolutely. Um, do you guys utilize the Google um, for nonprofits grants that they offer for um, Google AdWords? Mm, I don't know that we have. Now you've got my, <laughs> you've got my interest <laughs> up. So you say grant and I'm there. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, let's talk about that real quick. Um, okay. Google provides a, up to a $10,000 a month grant for ad spend. Um, that's to get people to your website. Um, so this would, you know, it's, it's specifically just for Google ads. Um, all you have to do is be a nonprofit and there's a process where you upload your documentation and they verify that you are truly a nonprofit. Um, they'll go to your website scope you out, make sure you're legitimate. And, um, and then they provide you with this grant. Now the $10,000 a month is, um, in our experience working with nonprofits, trying to help them spend that it's virtually impossible. Uh, there are a lot of limits on what kind of keywords you can use and, um, and how frequently people are actually going to see your ads. And so, um, 
in our best effort, we usually can spend maybe $1,000 a month uh, for local nonprofits. But that is definitely something you could look into. And it, it could be another great way to get people to your website. Um, especially Absolutely. if, you know, they're searching, if they're, if they're here locally, and maybe they're, um, they're googling things about domestic violence, um, trying to figure out if am I in an abusive relationship? How do I get out of this? What do I do? Um, I'm sure that that would be a great way to get people to your resources. Absolutely. No, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. You know, another one I thought of when we were talking is, um, and I believe most cities have it, the 411 or some type of information system where you can can call and, and find out what resources are available in the community. Yeah, and I believe that uh, the last video we worked on, uh, the Alicia, who um, told her story so bravely, uh, that's how she found out about you guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you always wonder when you put things out in the unknown land of mm-hmm. social media or, you know, whatever the case may be, does it really make an impact? Does it? So I was so pleased to hear her share that um, just because it's like, yay, it works. We know that, you know, the resources that that are out there are working to help people in our community. That's great. Now, when you share on social media, do you guys have any specific techniques that you like to use to try and get um, more exposure? I I know um, Facebook has, they've declared they're going to show posts that they think are the most engaging and the most relevant. So they decide what people see now. And so you've got to make your stuff um, valuable to people. uh, And the more they like it, the more they're going to show it, the more they share it, the more Facebook is going to show it. Um, what's worked with you guys and getting a lot of likes and shares? Um, definitely images, you know, showing some kind of images. We tend to put up a lot of articles that will link to another organization, maybe nationally that we partner with because it, you know, it builds credibility, um, that we're all working in this process together. Um, you know, interestingly enough for our community, the Marjorie Mason Center is named after Marjorie Mason who was tragically killed in the late 70s by her former um, boyfriend who was an abuser. And um, when we post anything about Marjorie, even today, and that's 42 years later, um, we still, our our numbers just go through the the roof. And so it gives me goosebumps talking about it because it shows, you know, for her family, her whole desire or their desire when she was tragically killed was to help her legacy stay alive. And so knowing that our community still recognizes that, even though we're, we're generations in, um, it does, it, it, it makes me just feel really great to know that they still know who Marjorie is and they still know the impact that she's having on lives in our community. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. That's so great because w- one of the things we were just talking about in our last episode was authenticity and how really it's all about um, – helping your your clientele right and how however we can authentically do that and help them um, solve a problem or get out of a bad situation get into a better situation improve their lives um, that's that's why we're all doing what we're doing right and then we have this extra layer of how do we get the word out right so it's all about finding getting back into that original intent of helping other people and connecting with them and finding those ways where uh, we're going to be in a, in a in a good relationship and help each other out, right? Mm-hmm. 
That's so true. You know, every non I believe that every nonprofit that exists out there, not only the ones in our community, but but beyond, they exist because someone has a passion to make a difference in that specific niche, whatever it is. You know, for ours is domestic violence, but I know so many wonderful nonprofits out there. And um, you know, we all live and learn through one another's experiences, good and bad. And so I think it's so important that um as nonprofits that, that we work together in a positive way. And I have to say Fresno, I feel like is very good at that, um, but that we work with others who can help us get the word out. And so that's why I have to give kudos to, to our community because I feel like um, they pay attention. They pay attention to what's going on in the community and truly have that desire to, to help those around, around um, Fresno and Fresno County. I agree. Yeah, especially, you know, in in this pandemic era, right, you know, it can be so hard because everyone, everyone is tightening up the purse strings, right? So, but you, you said you've actually done, you've done okay. You guys are, are, haven't been as hard hit as maybe you thought you might've been. Yes. In fact, so um, when the world essentially shut down last year, March 13th, um, I specifically remember we called a, a special leadership team meeting um, that, that weekend. We met most of the weekend trying to figure out what the world we're going to do because we're a human service organization, a social service organization, and our job is people working with people. And it was like, what? We can't. So we had to quickly pivot all of our services to um, virtual formats, telemed, telehealth, and figure out how we were going to continue to serve our clientele. Um, it was also the week before the only annual fundraiser we have every year um, that makes significant um, impact for the agency budget. And so if you would have asked me then what would have happened, <laughs> I, I would have been very hesitant to say, I'm not sure, or I don't know, or it feels really bleak right now. But I have to say, and, and I've read so many articles even from across the country that um, we saw a lot of bad in COVID. I mean, I think just because it caught everyone so off guard and it was so abrupt and, and there's, you know, people on both sides of the fence of, do you agree? Do you not agree? But I really feel like we saw the best of people's hearts um, in our community and beyond. Um, Fresno was so incredibly generous um, that we actually not only met our fundraising goal for the year, we exceeded it. And wow. um, I never would have believed it had I not seen it. And it, it's, it's, it's not, it has nothing to do with us. I mean, we kept doing the work that we were doing. We tried to stay out there and stay connected with our donors as much as possible. So we did institute some new things. We brought back an e-newsletter. Um, we tried to make sure that we were touching people as many ways as we could, as often as we could to just say, how are you doing? Do you need anything? You know, yeah, let's share with you what's going on with us. But we really saw the best. And it was, um, it was so encouraging, so encouraging to see that people, even in their own hardships, we're figuring out ways to give and to help others around them that weren't as fortunate. Wow. That's very inspiring. That's great. Yeah. It's so important. Um, in these times of crisis and, and hard, hard economic times, you know, it's, it's important that, you know, we think about the things that we've lost where you can't go to the movies and you can't go out to eat in the same ways and all those kinds of things. Right. But when we're able to find those ways where we can still, it's those ways of giving and connecting with people and maintaining those kinds of partnerships and relationships, I think, that can help us uh, feel less like things are all going 
to heck, <laughs> right? Yes. You know, if we can maintain those those types of um, relationships, it's it's much more important than uh, you know, hey, I I didn't get to go um, out where I wanted to go out or go to a concert or something like that. So. Yeah, and for nonprofits, I think it's so important to just stay out there, try new things, not feel. I think many times we feel like we don't have the staff capacity or we don't have, you know, the volunteer capacity or whatever the case may be. But I know for us, and we did not do any of it perfectly, <laughs> so I'm not patting us on the back, but we held a virtual event this fall that's normally a big in-person 1500 event, you know, convention center kind of, of event. We held it virtually. Um, we learned a lot from it. Same thing with our drive-through fundraisers. So we just kept trying to stay out there and and help people not forget that we're around and that they can rely on us for resources, but equally, if you know, they can still continue to support our efforts as well. And so I think sometimes we just have to go for it and uh, sometimes figure it out along the way, but do what we can to make sure that we're not, you know, I heard a lot of, um, especially those in fundraising saying that, um, for those who sort of stopped and just sat, the same thing was true with um, the economic downturn several years ago. For those that stopped what they were doing and just sort of waited it out, they did experience a lot of um, negative kinds of results as a, um, you know, because of all of that. But for those that kept going and kept pushing and staying out there and asking and telling the story, they had really good results. So I think we have to try not to operate in fear but operate in faith, knowing that we're doing a good work for our community and that we've got to continue to do that despite what's going on around us. That's great. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> I was, I've been thinking too about, you know, I've, I've been hearing headlines and on the news and things them talking about, you know, the effects of sheltering in place and, and what kind of impact that has on people who are being, um, domestically abused um, and their children and um, just kind of being shut in with that. Um, obviously, you can't speak in very specifics, but I'm just curious what you have witnessed um, as you've been working with people through the midst of this pandemic and how that's affecting your clients. No, you're very right. Um, statistics nationally show that um, actually worldwide that during pandemics, whatever the case may be, that um, violence numbers increase. And the same was true for COVID. Um, you know, for so many, home is not a safe place. So when we went to those shelter in place and everyone stayed put, you know, for, for children experiencing child abuse, for, um, you know, adults and children experiencing domestic violence, it was not a healthy situation. Work was their escape, school was their escape. Um, you know, hobbies or, or even a chance to go to the movies or whatever. So when all of that stopped, it did have um, dire results. And so, you know, as an agency, we saw a little bit of a roller coaster. We would have periods of, it was almost eerily quiet, that the phones weren't ringing, we weren't hearing anything. And then all of a sudden we'd have a wave of just a lot of people coming in. The end result was that um, our services increased by over 13% this year. So uh, we served, like I said, over 8,500 adults and children, which was a 13% increase over the previous year. Um, the other thing that we saw is by the time people did seek us out and come to us, and I know our local law enforcement officials have said the same thing, the violence was much more severe. It was, it was more physical in nature and it was much more severe. So one of the things that we do with a client when they come in is we do what's called a lethality assessment. 
So it's an assessment of um, 15 questions that ask, um, are there guns in the home? Have you ever been threatened with a weapon? Has your um, partner ever tried to um, choke you? Um, some of those kinds of questions. And basically the, num the higher the number, the more the reality is that that person could likely be killed as a result of that violence. And so we saw our numbers increase by about two points. So it doesn't sound like a lot. It went from maybe nine to about 11. But when you're thinking about a, 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 a score of 15, um, that's pretty incremental, you know, a large boost um, in that violence. And so the other thing we saw um, in this process is that clients are staying with us longer. Um, you know, normally an average stay for, for an adult and their children is about 30 to 33 days because it takes that much time to get a court date if they're doing any kind of restraining orders or child protective orders. Um, and so those things still happen. You know, the courts figured out how to pivot as well. But because of the things that were happening in the community with uh, loss of jobs and, and all those kinds of things that clients really needed to stay with us longer to get on their feet again, um, be it that they were trying to, you know, move back in with family or move into their own place or, or go to their next chapter in their journey. It's just taking them longer to get on their feet. So at our peak, um, normally in, in sort of non-COVID times, we would house about 52 families um, during, you know, our, our regular sort of normal um, times. During COVID, our peak was 70 families. That was about middle of November, actually. Wow. And uh, so for us as an agency, you know, we were, um, we've always known that we're at capacity and over, but it had never been that high. So that's really been a challenge this last year. Wow. 70 families and who knows how many kids are in each of those families. That's a, that's a lot of people to take care of. Yeah, you can at least double it. You know, if it's 70 families, we have at least 140 probably most most families come with about two children, but you know, some come with, with a lot higher. So it was in the 160s during that time. And so just knowing that you're um, you're their only form of, of care and making sure that all of their needs are met, even those basic needs of just, you know, food, water, water, clothing, um, educational, you know, our children's team during this time has been, you know, making sure that they were reaching out to even the kids to make sure that they're able to do online school if that's the format that they're doing or that they have things to keep growing in their education and, and you know, the, all the detriments. I don't think we've even begun to hit the iceberg yet or see the tip of the iceberg of what's going to come as a result of COVID for everyone. Um, right. You know, emotional trauma that people have faced, um, the isolation. There's, there's a lot that I think we're going to be unpacking as communities in this next few years due to just the isolation that happened during COVID. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Cause we, we will need to, um, obviously determine what's the effects of that, the long-term effects that we just don't know. Right. And so this is not the time to, uh, ease up on any kind of support or giving for sure. Absolutely. You mentioned, um, how there was a stigma, especially 40 years ago, and it's less now. Do you think COVID has brought any extra awareness to uh, domestic violence or, you know, because of how bad it is, is that um, benefiting in a way the uh, amount of awareness that people are having? And maybe is that, is that helping? I would like to, I would like to think so. I mean, I don't, I don't know that we have statistics on that yet. 
but to know that I think people are talking more. And I think even overall, if you look at like mental health, um, just as a whole, I think people are starting to be more open about mental health challenges that we all face in our daily lives. And so because of that, you know, I think it starts to peel away the shame and the guilt and some of the things that we feel. So the same is true for domestic violence. It's, you know, um, unfortunately, um, it's not just about the physical scars. And I'm not saying the physical is not bad, it's terrible. But many times it's those emotional pieces of, um, you know, the loss of self-confidence and self-esteem and, and not feeling like you're capable of making decisions and, and um, you know, feeling like you can't parent your child because you don't know how. And, and so many of those things are, are really the reality and what takes the longest to heal. So yeah, I think I would like to think as a, as a society that we've learned to be a little more open about our, our own, um, I don't like to call them weaknesses by any means, but um, you know, our own things that we're challenged by. Um, and obviously that makes it easier, hopefully to talk about domestic violence. So Charity, how can somebody get in touch with you guys, the Marjorie Mason Center, whether they need uh, to use your services or have somebody that they know that would be in need of that, or if they just want to support and uh, help out with what you guys are doing there? Sure. The easiest way to contact us is online at mmcenter.org. There's a whole host of materials on there for clients um, who are seeking assistance as well as how to get involved with our agency. Um, Another way to contact us is through our 24-7 hotline, and that's area code 559-233-4357. It spells out the word help, so 233-4357. Folks can call that number and, um, again, talk to someone about potential services, how to help a friend or a family member, but also get connected with the development department if they're interested in giving back and helping those affected by domestic violence. That's awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Charity. We, we sure appreciate uh, you coming on here today and sharing about what you do and what you guys are all about and how you can um, get your message out there. Uh, so well, thank you so much. Appreciate I, I appreciate the invitation and um, the work that you do in the community. I think to just, you know, um, elevate the level of needs for nonprofits in our community. Um, we, none of us can do it alone, but we can all do it working together. So yeah. thank you so much. That's great. It's our pleasure. Really enjoyed having you here. Thanks so much, Charity. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us here thank today. Thank you so Bye-bye. much. Bye. Bye. All right. Bye. Have a great day. You too. You too. So if you enjoyed the show today and you want to learn more about the Marjorie Mason Center, maybe you'd like to check out some of the videos that Dave and Charity have done together telling the stories of the clients at Marjorie Mason Center. Um, Or maybe you have experienced domestic violence or you might know someone who has experienced it. Head over to extremelyvalidpoints.com. There you will find the show notes for this episode. And we can give you all sorts of information there and links to more resources. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for spending time with us at the Extremely Valid Points podcast. To learn more about this episode, see our show notes at extremelyvalidpoints.com. Be sure and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you download your podcasts. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash extremely valid. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Instagram at EVP underscore podcast. Thanks again. And we'll see you next time with some extremely valid points.